So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
that is uh, Admiral Halsey with Indian Summer. I thought it would be fun to uh, play a song called Indian Summer in the middle of the fucking winter because, well, I'm just in that kind of a mood today. And I always want to call him Captain Halsey, and I don't know if I'm promoting him or demoting him, but yeah, I'm demoting him. That's not good. Okay. Admiral Halsey. And he's that's not really his name. Of course not. I don't really know his real name. It's that's sad. All right, everyone, welcome. It's uh, January. It's January something or other. What is it? It's Thursday, January 12th. Oh, wow. We've already made it to the 12th. Isn't that exciting? That's a good thing. Uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, well, I, I want to say it's 506 right now here in uh, kind of greater Los Angeles area. And there is light in the sky. It's it's pretty exciting. The actual days are getting longer again. And it's it's true. It's actually happening because I see it and the dogs are actually not wanting to get fed uh, until now like 515 because for sure their stomachs like the minute it gets dark, they want to be fed. And it's the first year I've noticed that about my dogs. They've never done that before. And now suddenly they're all tuned into the planets and shit like that. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe I've just been smoking too much pot this year and I've noticed it now for the first time. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, this week, uh, has been an interesting week. Last night I did my first run through completely off book of my live show, my solo show. And, uh, oh man, you know, like the second act or there was like a chunks where I just was like, I have no idea what the next line is. I know I'm supposed to know this, but I really don't know. And then of course the fear of God enters my body. And I think, God, I fucking hope this doesn't happen next week. So now I'm like diligently memorizing every single moment and going to work my ass off this week. But I don't know why I have this thing about memorization and it's so terrifying. Um, I don't know when I when I did my one woman show 10 years ago, it was even more it was even longer than this one. And I too had this terror about it. I mean, I think that literally, people are going to throw fruit at me on the stage or, or something or I'm you know, you know what it is, it's I have a, a standard that I've set and, and I'm a perfectionist. And if people are coming and sitting in a chair and listening to my stories and listening to my show, uh, you know, I, I want to be a professional and I want to believe I'm a professional. And, and yet some part of me feels like I've had two minutes on a stage somewhere and I'm not a professional. <laughs> so, um, I'm taking up tap dancing so I can tap dance during the parts that I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so anyway, it's working out. It's okay. I did, I ran the first act today. Just bam, fucking know the fucking first act. It's great. Second act I'm working on. It's harder. You know, it's the part where my dad dies. So it's more difficult for me too emotionally, but, um, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. And, and, and that's the thing I was thinking too a lot about this week is this, you know, really setting the bar for oneself. You know, we, we grow up and we're, we kind of in, 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 intake all of the values of our culture and our parents and our family and our peers and all of that. And so we have all these ideas and standards swimming around in our head. And, and I don't know if I'm late to this or not, or if this is just kind of a middle age thing, but you know, I'm going to be 49 this year. And, and it's like, I'm really, really wanting to figure out what are my standards? What do I want to live up to? What is good work? What is success? What is fulfillment for me? And, um, and I, and so, you know, I'm having to put my parents aside and especially my father. I mean, that's a huge 
thing to kind of live under that shadow. And, you know, here's a man who once every 18 months, 24 months, memorized a whole nother hour and 15 minute wrote and memorized a whole nother hour and 15 minute show. And it was all always more brilliant than the next one. And, and my arc's a little longer. It's, it's, it's a 10 year arc. <laughs> Which is okay. There's a lot of gestating going on. There's a lot of fucking processing going on, basically. But, you know, and, and thinking also, okay, I know genetically I've got the memorization gene in me because dad had it and he memorized that shit and he was good at it. So I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking I need to go back to therapy or something. I'm not quite sure about all this, but, uh, so this is what I've been thinking about memorization and setting my own standards, setting my own bar, which is really, um, liberating. It's really liberating when you set your own bar because part of it too is, and I want to talk to my guest about this today. It's like when you do a long run of something, a live theater or something like that, you know, how do you make it fresh? How do you keep it fresh? How do you, how do you discover new things, uh, with it? And, um, so that, that, that's part of it too. I'm looking kind of forward and, and thinking about that. And, oh, because here's the other thing that I figured out about this show is, I kind of got the ego gratification thing out of the way when I took it to Montreal last year and I've done it a couple of times and I've gotten some good reviews and some comedian friends have come and, you know, really been very sweet and generous and, and, you know, very pra- praising of my show. And so all that ego stuff is like, okay, now I've done that. And now I can tell people that I have a show and I'm doing it. Okay. That's kind of that part of the category is put away you know, now why am I doing this? What what does it really, really mean to me besides the little ego hit that I get from it, which is meaningless because it's meaningless to me now. If I'm going to be doing this for the next year, it's uh, ego thing don't work. And um, and so it was really great the other night because uh, Provenza was here and, um, you know, he's directing my show and we just talked for like three hours about, you know, what it really means to me and what is my life's work about. and 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 we came up with this really interesting parallel because he says, you know, when he, when he sees my show and people see my show, it's like in some ways I do what my dad did, but my dad had this way of being able to say the words and, and think, thinking the thoughts and saying the words that everyone else is thinking, but were afraid to say out loud. And he made people feel less crazy because of that. Whereas my show is much more about the emotional truth and the emotional life of my family. And, um, so we were talking about how I kind of get to express the feelings that maybe some people don't always get to express and therefore help people to not feel so crazy. And that makes me feel really, really good because that's important to me that we all remember that we can take these fucking masks off and these personas off and look at each other in the eye and saying, you know what, we're just human. And uh, here we are just trying to figure this shit out. So anyway, I'm going to play a little clip here. And uh, this is a clip that is uh, connected to my guest here. This is a clip from The Credibility Gap. I believe this was from uh it's uh, uh it's from an album called the the bronze age of radio and i'm not sure what year 78 79 no he's saying it we'll talk about it anyway it's the credibility gap uh enjoy um i othello he was black and she was beautiful they were i othello From William Shakespeare's most misunderstood classic comes the long-suppressed story of a black man 
and his secret rights in a naked but seething world with a white girl whose only desire was to please and whose only pleasure was to thank you. I, Othello. Too hot for the English stage. Now it's a film in English. Photographed in blistering Mondo color and filmed in Bonervision erectophonic sound, I, Othello, screws its way onto the giant throbbing motion picture screen. Othello and Desdemona and Iago and Amelia. Consider the couplets. For the first time outside Denmark, thanks to newly limp court decisions, you can see a story so bold... It had Shakespeare's bacon frying and Christopher's fry open. But due to newly disciplined court decisions, only on radio can scenes from this torrid but distinguished masterpiece, clearly a work with redeeming social importance, be shown. Clave ope thy doublet, Desdemona. Pit for me the peaches of thy flaxen bosom. Oh, Othello, thy flatterest this poor queen. Poor queen? Why not, my lord? Has not thou sheathed thy sword in skin of virgin mutton, and thereby banished the pox of Mother Cupid? Come, take off your clothes. And you'll meet Iago, all man, or is he pleasure machine? Crave up thy doublet, Othello. To the singlet bar let us repair. I didn't know it was broken. not the only ones who say I, Othello, is any good. Here's what the critics rave. A Tom Jonesian romp through the beds and boards of Avon, bawling. Playboy magazine makes I, a Hamlet, look like a Great Dane puppy. Bob Salmagi, Group W News, makes me look like Bob Salmagi. Judith Christ, NBC TV. I, Othello, has copped the Golden Feel Award at the Tri-Cities Erotica Festival and Meat Swap. Othello. The film that has America's voyeur is taking a good long look at themselves. If you're not likely to be offended by iambic pentameter or still photography, if you think that we've got what you want but couldn't have because we couldn't get it, get this. We've got it. I, Othello. A Zodiac film rated GP. <laughs> well, that was from the credibility gap. <clears throat> My guest today is uh, what some would call a comedy legend. I was thinking definitely a renaissance man. Uh, between film, television, stage, radio, improv, comedy, drama, and music, what doesn't he do? I'm- Windows. Windows. Thank God. Welcome, Mr. Michael McKean. Thank you very much, Kelly. Nice to have you here. Nice to be had. Out in the little studio here on the Waking from the American Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the credibility gap. Now, yeah. I was a little tyke uh, back then. I didn't know about sure. you guys at all. <clears throat> well, uh, they they got started in 1968. Mm-hmm. I was still in New York. I came out in early 1970. They were kind of, it was kind of a little bit of a shakeup. And uh, the name was actually, um, at that time, it consisted of uh, Richard Beebe, mm-hmm. who was a, actually the news director at uh, KRLA Radio, right? Uh, Harry Shearer, uh-huh. and David Lander, who was my old pal from, from college. Right. And so uh, I was thinking about going out there anyway from New York because it was so cold in New York. <laughs> And uh, so man. David said, yeah, it's warmer here and uh, maybe a gig. So I came out to – and I kind of – you know, that that became the, the unit. Right. And, you know, I had a lot of guest actors too, Albert Brooks and Rob Reiner and uh, – oh, the list 
actually stops there. <laughs> no, no, it does. It goes on and on and on. Morgan Upton and John Brent and people who, uh, Christopher Ross, people whose names aren't necessarily that familiar mm-hmm. right now. A lot of them from, um, uh, the committee in San Francisco mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, also other second city companies. Right. Uh, but the committee was, had the West Coast. Yeah. You know, up and down the West Coast. Yeah. Some wonderful people. Howard Hessman, of course. Oh, Carl, yeah. Carl Gottlieb. And, right. You know, funny, funny geese. Yeah. I found a, a, a video of, um, you, uh, Harry doing Tom Snyder. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you're some paranormal archaeologist. That's right. And, and David is, is a, a, CIA. a poorly disguised CIA guy <laughs> with a heavy Spanish accent. Yeah. And, and it's so fun. And, and did you guys, <laughs> you videotape that special for Tom Snyder? No, we did it. Uh, Tom Snyder saw us do it. Mm hmm. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, I think it was Regis Philbin or somebody hmm. had it on his show. Ah. Cause it was just something that we were, had kind of a hit with, you know, in the clubs here. Right. And, uh, so, uh, you know, we, we wrote a special one just to do on, uh, we, we had done a, you know, Harry did a brilliant. Oh my God. Snyder. Yeah. He really, really did. So we did a lot of different ones. We had, uh, uh, well, just a lot of, that was kind of the best of the best. Those, those two guys. <laughs> David CIA. But he flew yeah. us, they flew us to, uh, it was a very eventful weekend. We flew into New York from LA to do the tonight, to do, to do the tonight, the tomorrow show. The tomorrow show. On the tomorrow show. Right, right. And, uh, and all kinds of stuff was happening. They caught Patty Hearst. Uh, Henry Aaron hit, uh, home run number 715. All this stuff, it was like the, the nexus of the world. Right. And, uh, we did this, this piece. Oh, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, now did you guys, Improvise and stuff to write no. it, and then but you sat down and wrote. Well, we didn't sit down much. Actually, <laughs> Harry sat mostly because he was the best typist. Right. So we would kind of wander around, mm-hmm. and, you know, and um, abuse our bodies in various mm. ways yes. to mm-hmm. to wrench uh, from same uh, <laughs> some kind of humor. Hysteria was hysteria. Was yes, ensued. No, it was really an interesting. Con- the credibility gap was was actually the news wing of uh, this station of Carolee, which was an AM station. Yeah, it still is, but now it's a, something entirely different. Yeah, uh, and then later on, KPBC, which is uh, was one hundred six point seven in Pasadena. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, that's we did about eight months there, but oh. you know. Houses get cleaned if they're not making a lot of ratings. Yeah. Know? But that was a, the, the, at 1971 at KPBC, we kind of had a little more freedom and mm. we really developed uh, mm. into a real kind of a... Well, I was listening to some of the cuts on this particular album and... Uh-huh. Uh, those are all from the radio. Fantastic. Yeah, Just there's some good stuff on there. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, that, that kind of satire, I think, was just exploding at that time you know i mean saturday night live wasn't around yet no. but but the second city was around and things like that and- yeah yeah uh, mm, there really wasn't what was happening is uh, along the same that there was the expansion of of uh, the improv new york mm. improv mm-hmm. the comedy store those mm. things started happening in the early 70s right and so there was a lot there was a higher profile of comedy in clubs in general mm-hmm. but uh it wasn't all that much satire there were really few, uh, you know, the committee and, uh, obviously, but they would, they were more of a theatrical thing. They would, they would plop down in the theater rather right. than go do 20 minutes at the comedy store or the improv. Right, right. Um, it was just a different process. It yeah. was closer to Second City. Or yeah. Second City has always been in Chicago. Yeah. So did you guys actually like go to the clubs and, and do these? Occasionally, yeah. yeah. We would get booked into clubs. Huh. We, we, we played, uh, what is now the improv. We played, 
uh, it was a club called the Ash Grove. Uh huh. Uh, run by a guy named Ed Pearl. Oh yeah, I and, remember the Ash Grove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did a lot of folk acts and stuff. Yeah, and we yeah. Opened, we opened for some folk acts and then we headlined there a lot. We played a month. Uh, in 1974, right around the Nixon resignation. Hmm. So we would write a sketch in the morning because the news was happening <laughs> real fast. Yes, yeah. And so we'd write sketches in the morning and we'd get them on the stage by that night, wow. you know, so because we were all good memorizers, but, but, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily improvisers because we had a lot of you know, kind of political points to make and, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. this stuff. And, yeah. Um, a couple of things were kind of looser than others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. David and I, David Lander and I did the Lenny and Squiggy characters at the time, Len, named Lenny and Antony at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did those toward the very end of the Gaps uh, kind of club career. Right. Uh, we did those guys and, uh, we did a sketch called Who's on First, which is, uh, Yeah, that was the on, other clip I was thinking it. of playing. That's a remade <laughs> version because I don't think we ever did it on the radio to begin with. Oh, uh, okay. But we may have included it in a, it's a really, special. We it's really great too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We also did a special. We were watching the the Jay Edgar movie, the Clint Eastwood movie, the other night, and we um, we did a special when Hoover died. Hmm. We did a half hour special on KMET, and it didn't get us investigated, and we were really <laughs> pissed off. Was, oh man, we called him a closeted rubber freak, you know. And it was it was just a half an hour of making fun of of Hoover now that he was dead, and the title was Jay Edgar Hoover. Too proud to die, too dead to live. <laughs> and they played it on the air. That's all. The, yeah. the Mighty Met at KMT. Yeah, I know. Awesome. It's a pretty ballsy little station until they, you know, yeah. fell in love with themselves I like know. everybody else does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about the FBI is, um, after my dad died, I found my dad's FBI file uh-huh. and there was like barely anything in it. There was no. like one letter to the Gleason show because he had, pissed some you know some audience member off and uh, they'd written a nasty letter to Johnny uh, uh, Jackie Gleason's show and and then somebody uh, in the FBI wrote a letter to Jackie Gleason and I was like that was it I mean after I mean we lived in terror in the Carlin household that the FBI was going to come knocking on our door at any moment now but no they really didn't I guess they had other things to do they were busy <laughs> they were busy with covering up Nixon at the time actually yeah well in 1980 they got real busy with uh, with John Lennon until he turned up conveniently. Right. Not, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Do you have some sort of conspiracy theory? No, I'm not that? a big conspiracy. Me it, it, it's too much like homework, you know. <laughs> but I have I have friends who know what went down, of course. Everyone yes, does. I do too. I know. You know, uh, the, the, somebody told me a great rumor one time. I can't even do it on the air because it might be true. <laughs> and if it is, I'll be dead. And they'll come to round our house No, but right it was now. one of those things. It was like, it was about a former president that kind of everybody sort of likes. Right. And, or liked. Uh, and, uh, Schrodinger's cat. You don't know whether it's a living or dead president <laughs> I'm talking about now. Only uh, when we see And it's some, a really, really scurrilous thing. And I thought, well, it's probably true because it's kind of cool. <laughs> and I could see how it would remain secret. But you never know. You never know. No. You no, don't. No. Yeah. And I agree with the conspiracy theory thing. For me, it's just, it's a lot of work to keep up yeah. with. There's a lot of details. And, and I, I always want to remind my conspiracy theory friends, look, if they were that organized, really? Yeah. Really? They're, you think they're that organized? Because when I look at the GOP debates right now, they don't, they're, no one's looking really organized oh. to me. Well, those aren't, you know, <laughs> that's not the only side that could have conspiracies, of course. <laughs> that's, oh, that's true, of course. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, 
these these two guys, Robert Anton Wilson. Oh yeah, sure. The did the, the big Illuminatus. Uh uh-huh, yeah, I've got trilogy. his books right in that book bookshelf yeah, behind yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And that was like sort of like you want conspiracy? Okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah, and they made this incredibly detailed, impossible world that was completely believable that it was secret. Yeah. You know, it was. You can see how it was sub rosa. Even yep. the, the crazier it got. Oh sure, I'm sure this shit goes on all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so when did you start going in and doing stuff that was not comedic and more dramatic? When did you start? Uh, well, I, listen. I, I starting in 1965, out of high school, mm-hmm. I, I went to co- went to two different colleges for one year apiece. Actually, two years in, at NYU. First at Carnegie, then at NYU. Mm-hmm. And I did what you're supposed to do in college, which was meet all the people you're going to need later. In your yeah, life. yeah. And I also had some good teachers in uh, in both places. Really, mm-hmm. Olympia Dukakis and NY at NYU, which wow. was a huge. Yeah, That's she's so awesome. Cool. And a guy named Omar Shapley, who was the uh, games improvisation teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm, like he the Olus Bolin games type yes, of stuff? Yeah, yes. I studied that myself. Yeah. Well, he, and, uh, he didn't, he, he went not so much by the book, but he, because he knew Viola Bolin and he mm-hmm. was a member of the original Compass Players, which came before Second City. Mm-hmm. He's this guy had been around forever, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and he was great because, you know, it, it, real hard ass improv guys get very pissed off if you go for a joke. Right. You know, if you go for a joke and end a sketch and, and, you know, you say, well, what you've done is you've lamed the point of the thing and you should have played it through and all this. And Omar would do that too. But first he would laugh his ass off if it was, if it was funny. <laughs> so you knew so, you were funny yeah, then, then at least. He'd laugh and laugh and he'd go, oh, God. All right, shame on you. All right, back. <laughs> and it was, it was great atmosphere because you knew mm. kind of how to keep the lasso on the idea mm-hmm. and not go flying off the off the idea mm. but still get the jokes along the way mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of that's, that's kind of what you're supposed to do <laughs> you know you're not supposed to give up the game yes yes uh, absolutely yeah. so yeah. he was great he was mm-hmm. really important i mm-hmm. thought uh, and you know, I had, I had other really good teachers, John Ulmer, Lewis Palter over at, uh, at, um, Carnegie hmm. and, uh, but mainly I met David L. Lander. I met Loudon Wainwright, George Gerdes, hmm. um, you know, at, uh, at NYU, I met Christopher Guest, hmm. Tom Leopold. Hmm. Um, you know, these are people who yeah. have always been huge in my life and, yep. and, uh, it's been, it's been kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because I know most people know you from, you know, Spinal Tap and, yeah. and all that stuff. And, uh, and I forgot to make the point I was going to no, make. No, no, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> Which is I was an actor, you know. Yes. And yes. I liked being funny and I liked doing improvisational stuff and, yeah. and, and all that. Uh, but I was really just ready. I was up for anything. Right. I was ready for anything. Nice. I was trying to make a living doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, my first job was in 1968. It was doing uh, Troilus and Cressida and The Balcony uh, at – uh, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts hmm. for $70 a week. Hmm. But that was my first professional gig. Wow. You know, and it was not a lot of laughs. I got a few laughs in the balcony. But, <laughs> you know. um, I mean the play, not the balcony. <laughs> Nobody in the balcony laughed. Three and a half hour play, but I got some laughs. Wow. Yeah. But, wow. Uh, you know, anyway, uh, so there was no actual downshifting or upshifting gotcha. into comedy or drama. I it's see. just I've always done both. I see. Uh, your career takes off with something like Laverne and Shirley did for me. Then people think of you comedically, and and uh, you know that's it's been fine. And and uh, just you know because this town can tr- try to 
you know, put people in boxes mm-hmm. so easily. When you were doing Laverne and Shirley, um, were people in this town just seeing you as this kind of silly comedic character, sitcom guy? Or? I got a lot of offers mm-hmm. right after that show and also in between every season of the show mm-hmm. to do something that was identical to that. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> – And it was like, boy, that would be really smart. <laughs> And the next two things that I did that had any profile at all were um, a movie called Young Doctors in Love, where I was kind of yeah. over the top, suave. Wait, who did? Kind of, whose film was Gary Marshall? Oh, Gary okay, Marshall's it was a Gary Marshall. Yeah. Okay, all right. And I got my hair all bleached. I looked like uh, Doctor Kildare. You uh-huh. know? Was, and I was basically the straight man to a, a movie full of insane people, uh-huh. like Michael Richards and Hector Elizondo, and, wow. and uh, I mean, you know, huge cast. Pa- uh, Pamela Reed was very funny in that hmm. movie. And, um, oh my God, just tons of people. But I was kind of the straight ass guy, you know, <laughs> and then Spinal Tap. Mm. So if I had died at that point, right. uh, people couldn't say I could only do one thing. Right. <laughs> and I thought that's the real truth comes out of that is typecasting doesn't happen with your first gig. It happens with your second and third. Mm. Because if you take, yep. if the tech next two jobs are like your first one, guess what? You belong in that box. Right. You put yourself in that box and yep. you've sealed it up from the inside. Yep. But there's always that f- fear, you know, of will there be another gig and should I say yes to this versus no? I mean, h- how have you dealt with that over the years? And s- what do you say yes to? What's what's the the, ca- the standard um, for you? I don't know. It's uh, I don't think I have any standards. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I, I think I'm – I try not to do anything that I wouldn't see. Ah, okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, there are a few exceptions. There are some I've, – I've done a couple of things that are sort of nah, not really my cup of tea, mm. but I've had a good time doing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The thing I love about doing the theater, which I've been doing for like last seven years or so, almost eight years, is um, you're in the community already. You're in the community that you're going to see mm. Uh the, the the internal thing. You're in this little circle of people who are doing this play, yes, and who are running this play and mm-hmm. lighting it and and uh, helping you change and right and, and you know and sitting at the stage door. All those people are in this community. It's like moving to a small town. Yeah, but out there, these people you're communicating with are the re- is the rest of the world. They're mm-hmm. all strangers. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't you're not really worried about oh what's this going to do for me mm-hmm. well what's this going to do for you tonight is is do what you did last night but better yeah or do what you do that thing that came to you after last night <laughs> right. you know i should have would yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so on, yeah. on a small scale that's mm-hmm. what you do in mm-hmm. the theater mm-hmm. it's different in films because you get or tv because you get a job and then you're gone yeah the next you know after a, a week and you have or this short little window month. of memorizing lines and rehearsing and and then yeah. doing yeah. it and you're done it's just a different process yeah yeah i just did law and order uh, law and order svu and i had a great time doing this and it was three days you know it was a three-day shoot mm-hmm. really full days mm-hmm. but it's kind of what I do. You know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. There's this thing when you kind of, when you kind of feel like you're, you're, you're doing your business and yeah. you're doing what you do and you're doing it better than another person they could have gotten. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just a great kind of feeling. You know? It sounds very corny to say that. I know, but it's, it's really sort of, yeah, okay, walk away. Yeah. You know, you don't spend the rest of the evening going, God, I should have done this. Yeah. But in the theater, you get, of course, another chance to go for it mm-hmm. every time. Mm hmm. 
But my choices are, I, like I say, I've been, I've been taking a lot, I've been very lucky in the theater. I've been, I've been doing stuff that's consistently interesting and working with great directors. Mm. 2004, I, 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 starting then, I worked with uh, Jack O'Brien, who mm-hmm. directed Hairspray and directed a million other brilliant things, right into a, a play that Woody Allen wrote and directed. Hmm. Then I worked with a brilliant man uh, named David Jones, a Welsh director, directed me at uh, uh, up in um, Williamstown. Mm-hmm. And then I went right right into Pajama Game. Well, you know, Pajama Game mm. with Kathleen Marshall directing, uh. who's like, you know, the best. I think the best musical director in. in you know, in business right now. And it got better and better. Oh, it just wow. kept going like that. Then I worked with uh, Tina Landau doing an original play by um, Tracy Letts. Mm. You know, it's like I'm I, I'm not really lifting a finger for this. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to get a wow. hold of it and be right for it it's and beautiful. go for it and do it, you know. So those aren't choices so much as, as you know, stepping into the right uh, pile of dog shit. <laughs> 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 and so, they can, so they can find you. Look, there's, yeah, there's yeah, this yeah, trail. Yeah, I, can, yeah. I can find Michaelis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned Law and Order because the other day I was napping. Um, I always nap to Law and Order because it's I have. the best. It is. It is. And it was the one where you and your wife were on oh, playing, yes. playing the cult leaders one. Yes. <laughs> and it was so funny. It was like, the graces. Yes. Yes. You were so lovely. You're such a lovely human being. Do you notice <laughs> that we were the most evil couple in New York that week? And that she was more evil than me. Yes. She's so pleased about that. <laughs> yes. she's, she's always Cre- mentioned cre- Creeped me out. Definitely <laughs> creeped me out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. How is that working with her? What, do you guys get to do that a lot or? Um, we did kind of at first mm-hmm. and then we did, um, uh, she, she became Martha Kent on Small. Yes, that's right. She did that for six years. Right. And then, uh, and then and you got to, you went on. I was Perry White. Right. And, uh, but we didn't have a scene in the first one I did. And then in the very last, uh, next to last season, they did one more where Martha Kent and Perry White start going out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we awesome. kind of, yes. So we wound up there. That's but, great. uh, and we've done a couple of other things. And we do, you know, we, we sing together. We do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and especially when uh, Nell Geislinger, who's our, my stepdaughter, Annette's daughter, mm-hmm. she sings and plays too. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And and music has always been a huge part of your life. Um, I was uh, listening to some of the folksmen earlier today. Oh, and <laughs> sweet old guys! Yeah, really sweet really old are. guys. I don't yeah. know what's holding them up. They are just you know. Oh my you, god! You wish that they could just make it to that next level. Yeah, you know? yeah. But well, bless their hearts. Yeah, That's truly bless say. their hearts. Yeah. yeah. But I think America. That's one of those things you say when someone's child isn't that, that great looking. <laughs> yes, or, exactly. Yeah. Bless the, bless the bless little child's hearts. heart. Yeah. yeah. Bless their <laughs> hearts. <laughs> um, d- did you have any? No one's ever said that about Rick Perry. <laughs> it's, it's more like fuck him. He, I think he's so beautiful that he's kind of that he, in a sense, <sighs> is the one percent now because well, that's how he came. That's how New Haven went. Well, uh, New Haven, and, Good, New Hampshire went. And the thing about Rick Perry is, I thought, I thought George Bush Jr. was a caricature of himself, mm-hmm. and like Rick Perry is like a kind of a, a even slightly more blurry caricature of George Bush. No, you, if George Bush is the Beatles, Perry is the monkeys. <laughs> Yeah. No disrespect to the monkeys. I, I oh, actually love great records. Yeah. Swell guys. And, but it and, is that kind of thing. It is. It's, it is. it's just, yeah. 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 You know, when I, I have isolated, by the way, the moment that George W. Bush mm-hmm. became president, it mm-hmm. was during 
Republican debates, someone asked uh, the whole panel, I don't even know who the hell was on it, Dole, I guess. Right. Not Dole. Couldn't have been. Anyway. This is 2000. 2000. Right. And and, uh, someone asked the entire panel, um, who's your favorite philosopher? So Mm. they were, you know, tossing out all these philosophers and got to George W. Bush and he said, Jesus Christ. Right. And they... And it was at the same time the dumbest answer and, and the, the smartest, smartest answer. Yeah. And every single one of those other motherfuckers Looked, yep. cl- stepping all over their dicks trying to get over to the microphone <laughs> to say, me too! Because they knew genius when they saw it. Yeah, you know, that's interesting you mentioned that kind of turning point for you because I remember watching... Again, no disrespect to the monkeys or Jesus. <laughs> the monkeys, in their defense, never said we're bigger than Jesus now. Or that we're bigger than the Beatles. No, they never said that either. <laughs> but those are some good sounding records, though. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember watching a documentary about George W. Bush uh, during the campaign in 2000. It yeah. was Nancy Pelosi's daughter, and I can't remember her name right now. It was an HBO documentary. Yeah, sure. And she followed, she got to go with the press and follow him around with this little camera and was, be, you know, kind of befriended him. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating because he was just kind of like goofy George yeah. for a long time. And you could really see the charisma there. You could see, absolutely, I want to sit down and have a beer with this guy, right. even though I don't really agree with his politics. But he's kind of just... He's a, probably not an a, not a complete ass. He's Exactly. He's right. just kind of a goofy kind of guy that doesn't know a lot about yeah. the world. And then he he won a couple of the first primaries or something, and, he, and it was clear that he was now the front runner. Mm-hmm. And she approached him the next day, and it's like, it's like someone, it's like Cheney and Carl Rove sat him down That's exactly what happened. and said, guess what? Yeah. You're now going to be the president and you're going to have to act that way. And this persona showed up and I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is what the office of the president does to people, you know? Yes. But in his case, he was there. We had George H.W. Bush. Yes. Then we got Clinton. A lot of things happened. Like we became a, kind of a rich country again. Yes. And a lot of other nice things happened. Some shitty things. And happened. there was a blowjob in the White House uh, and all of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there was uh, there was blood and hair all over the walls in Rwanda, and we right. maybe maybe should have done something. Might about have possibly. That. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of things happened during that era, but people got to the end of that and said, you know what, he's he's really kind of a low life. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to that good upstanding, yes. kind of that war hero thing. War right. hero can't run anymore, yeah. but his son, right. it's kind of like, you know, they, we kind of returned to the brand name. Yes, yeah, trying, trying to um, shine up that uh, so office was, of the president. So there was president. a slightly different process. It wasn't like a guy out from outer space. Yes. It was Cheney. And it was Rove, all those guys who worked in that inner circle. A- absolutely, and and there and there was this this kind of um, this passing down this uh, <laughs> this kind of monarchy kind of a feeling yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, but but you know, but there is that that interesting thing about you know what happens when you know you're going to take the office, and and I was just you know been thinking about Obama a lot and how and they're talking a lot about it now because it's a campaign year and how how is Obama going to get back to that Obama who campaigned right and and that person that he was and then you see who he's become as president and and literally what happens you know when you get to be president i'm guessing the reality of a lot of shit happens to you and they come to you with a book and say okay 
here's the deal. Right. Here's Russia. Here's Iran. Here's mm-hmm. the shit we really fucking know about all this right. stuff. And and here's what you can and can't do. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like in some Yes, way. it does. And if you're the man just moving into that White House, you know, you, you're going to – there's going to be a lot of head spinning going on mm-hmm. because you're going to be told a lot of, a lot of things yeah. and you're going to be, you know – and let's face it, Barack Obama wasn't in politics for terribly long when that happened. It's, it's true. not like you agreed. Know, yeah, the experience thing really was <clears throat> was a factor. It was. It yeah, was. And, I agree. Uh, and yeah. you know, he he had to judge how naive was too naive, and yeah. was I too naive, or was I just right? So yeah. yeah. Anyway, we shall see. We, we shall, shall see. see. Yeah, it's been really fun not seeing a single minute of the debates live. Because people are always, you know, they're always posting the, yes. the really good pops. Yeah, you, you know? don't really need to need. watch. No, you no. can just be on the Twitter feed. Yeah, pretty I much. remember, you know, I remember just getting stomach aches from Huckabee uh, four years ago, <sighs> or three years ago. Yeah, and and those people, you yeah, know, they just they made me kind of sick. And, and you know what's funny? Because I, uh, a, I couldn't watch um, Bush talk at all ever as president. Yeah. And then that was nice when Obama came in. I was like, oh, okay, now I can watch the president actually at a news <laughs> conference. This is good. Uh, and, and in the past, I wasn't able to, to watch all the GOP stuff. And it, and it does piss me off. But the funny thing is being on Twitter when I'm watching it, I do get to kind of process it in a certain way because my, I can let my snarky side out and I, right. I don't have to be all Buddhist and, <laughs> equi- mm. you know, have my equanimity up and everything. Yeah. And it's helped me a little bit be able to watch it. But at the same time, um, it's just fascinating. It, 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 it is truly, truly fascinating what's what's going on with the GOP right now. So I well, I remember the, when I was really kind of politicized, like a lot of people my age, uh, the Kennedy assassination, yeah. and the, the following year, the uh, presidential election, where the right ran, where the the Republicans ran. A, a right winger. Yes. <laughs> what we thought was a right winger. What, yeah, no, no. Very <laughs> no. moderate in these. Oh, he's t- kind of left centrist now much, yeah, compared yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. Goldwater. Yeah. You know, but, but they had to, you know, the, the Democratic, uh, uh, their angle was that Goldwater was insane. Yes. And he was going to blow up the world. Yes. And I don't, I don't commercial. think he was insane or even, you know. I had John Dean on this show and we talked about yeah, Gold, uh-huh. Goldwater and yeah. how he was actually, like you said, pretty much moderate left. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, and LBJ was not the, I mean, yeah. ask, there's a lot of people in, you know, <laughs> Southeast Asia will tell you, tell you what to think about. Yeah. LBJ. You know, it was, that was a fucking mess and, and it got worse and worse because he was a hard ass. Yeah. And thought it was part of the job to be a hard ass. Yeah. He, and it is, I suppose. He's an interesting character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I knew, um, things were getting interesting in the world when I was getting nostalgic for Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Nixon is always entertaining. There was a great moment that no one remembers but uh, but me and Harry Shearer and David Lander probably remembers it. But um, Nixon was going to be speaking in some some you know smallish city or the suburbs of a smallish city, and, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, uh, you know what? This looks like a lovely place." And 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 uh, they would say the townspeople were saying, "Well, you know, the only thing we don't like there's this kind of gully here, and it's really it's really kind of a nice area, but they put a trailer park." Right down in the middle of it, it just spoils the look. And 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 Nixon looked at it and goes, "You know, they could probably arrange the trailers to look more like a motel." <laughs> so this was a guy who who was fine with the motel, thought that was the fix. Yeah. If yeah. you don't like a trailer park in your gorgeous gully, then <laughs> boy, that sounds like a really gorgeous dirty gully. thing. Your gorgeous gully. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a porno. Maybe a Spinal Tap song or something. I don't know. <laughs> 
I want to talk a little bit about Spinal Tap, okay. only because I'm curious because a friend of mine, Tony Hendra, yeah. was in it. And um, I, whenever I see it, I think, wow, that must have been insane to be on that shoot. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, um, uh, Rob Reiner. Right. Uh, it was his idea. You guys did something. We did a sketch. Separate. Yeah, a sketch. Uh, we had an idea for, um, a sketch on a pilot for a series. Mm-hmm. A series that happened, pilot kind of was ran, was run at a, spe- as a special in mm-hmm. 1979. Um, and, uh, it was a, created by Rob Reiner and, uh, some others and mm. uh, Harry Shearer was one of the producers on it, Christopher and Tom Leopold. Uh, and one of the things that they, they wanted to do, it was about a guy, it was a full day of TV. It was kind of like SCTV okay. in a sense. Right. Uh, you know, it was a guy with a flipper, you know, just guy just, you know, right. clicking channels and, and all this different you know, stuff, stuff comes up. Yeah. Right. Right. So they wanted to end with a Wolfman Jack midnight special kind of mm-hmm. deal. So we cooked up this, this, band right you know i wasn't i was working on another show at the time and and uh, but they brought me in and we put this band chris and i used to do these characters these english morons <laughs> and so uh, based on on some observation <laughs> and we always thought that'd be fun so we put together this band and uh, as a sketch in the show mm-hmm. so a couple of years later rob was kind of trying to get his you know film career yes going right and he's looking around for something to do as a first feature and said how about this how about it's a documentary and we all thought that was a great idea because the last waltz had just come out you know <sighs> so we wanted a concert that was yeah. stuff that had concert stuff right and also had that kind of backstage kind of you know chatter thing and yeah so we watched all of these movies we watched all of these documentary films and we you know we made the film kind of from that as as raw meat and just and 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 was it a typical you know, when I think of your work with Christopher Guest and going forward, you mm-hmm. know, I know there's this process you guys do with part improv and writing and stuff. There's no writing. No writing. And Chris is – there's no dialogue written. Right. But uh, the background and the, you know, the, the, the depth of the characters, that's and what is, makes everything else work. And is there a basic arc that you know where you're no. going to uh, the end yeah, of the yeah, scene sure. basically? Yes. Plot we, you know going? what happens – roughly what happens in the scene. Okay. You know what your character wants. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you, it's okay to have secrets. Okay. But, um, you know, Chris's stuff with Eugene has kind of formalized and crystallized it. At the time, it was everybody just winging uh-huh. everything. But we were going from something that we'd worked on for a year. Right. Uh, creating the background yes. for everything. So that when we improvised about the good old days, we were talking about the same good old days. <laughs> right. When we talked about so- how nice. we got screwed, at, you know, in, in Cleveland. Right. We know what we're talking about. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we, we took a big map of the United States and we plotted out the, the, the route. And mm-hmm. we, we said, this is what happens here and this is what happens here and this mm-hmm. is here. And they get to the, you know, to uh, Denver and they get to, you know, to, to try this recording session and then that blows up. And right. Da, da, da. So it was just, a, you know, we, we sketched the disaster out as an actual tour. Right, right. And then, of course, it always ends with we're now big in Japan, so we can't break up, <laughs> which is what life is about, really. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that you're big in Japan or that you can't break up. <laughs> but they wanted us to write a screenplay and we said, no, it's, that's too much work. And, and it wouldn't be, wouldn't be good. Wouldn't be good. Yeah. So we did a kind of a demo version of us improvising stuff with yeah. some numbers. Right. And, uh, eventually we got that going at uh, Embassy Pictures. 
I, it just sounds like pure bliss to me to hang it was out fun. to hang out with like your your best friends and like just it was a lot of fun probably smoking a lot of weed I'm guessing uh, not and- <laughs> right not right there on the set necessarily <laughs> I don't believe okay all right then. yeah but we you know we did tell certain because what was great about it was you know we we knew someone was coming in tomorrow mm-hmm. that was going to make it. Paul Benedict was going to come in or Hessman uh, uh-huh. or uh, Billy Crystal and Dana Carvey as the mimes right. or, uh, or Fran Drescher. Every time she was in, it was gold. Right. You know? Right. Um, all those people, mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, really great. And people we didn't know. So well. we knew Tony from, from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but June Chadwick who played uh, Janine. Yes. It was a total revelation. You know, mm-hmm. she was just so great. And she really got that, Working class, but a striver uh, thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. She really nailed it, and we looked alike. Yeah, I thought that was a that was a really kind of a fun choice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it, there there must be you know I, one of the things I haven't done a lot of um, acting acting myself, and, and done done some improv in the past and stuff, but jumping being able to jump into characters like that and just to, to think about that kind of. Um, the, the kind of the, the part of the character that you guys were playing, especially which it was like clueless arrogance. Right. <laughs> That's know? right. Well, and, and what a fun fucking thing to get to play because, because we're, we're really not allowed to be either one of those things. We have right. to act like we know what we're doing and we have to be humble and, you know, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. And to be able to put those two things together and just kind of just, shit everywhere yeah. but think it's perfectly fine well it's kind of like the the songs themselves too they're they're cloddish but they're not incompetent right yes yes uh, yes know, absolutely it, yeah it, it's it's bad taste it's not bad rock music. exactly exactly yeah. right it's sort of bad music yeah. but that's not the the point the right. point is it's you know it's a it's a good specimen of a certain kind of <laughs> right. bad music right yeah absolutely yeah. Oh God, that just sounds like fun. But we all respect and like rock and roll. All of us grew up Clearly. in rock and roll, and and you know, dig it. And and I'm still learning stuff. I just heard a great track by the James Gang that I'd never heard. The James Gang hadn't played together since 1972, and I just you know, it came on uh, KCSN, which is this oh, awesome. Yes, station. Nick Harcourt's on there now. Fabulous. Yeah. Is he really? Yes, he's on Saturday afternoons there genius. now. Genius. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but and it comes up, and they don't tell you who it is. So you got to have your Shazam yep, on your yep, phone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> James Gang, who knew? What a great song! That's awesome. Very cool. What are, anyway. are you into newer music now, or yeah, some. Uh, uh, every now and then, there's a big discovery. You mm-hmm. know, what's your newest discovery? A band called Field Music, hmm. English band. They're fabulous. There's an album called Tones of Town, hmm. which I strongly recommend. If you like that stuff that you were playing, yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah, big power pop kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Band called Tally Hall. Okay. They have a second album, but their first album is great. I haven't heard the second one yet. Okay. I like some of the, I like Fleet Foxes. I like some of the things, you know, yeah. that the other, you know, grown ups like and, and young adults. <laughs> and, and the kids that. these but days. I, but I listen to a lot of old people, you know, <laughs> or people who didn't live to get old. Right. You know? yeah. 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 Absolutely. But, are you, are uh, you into jazz at all? I am. I am. Um, I, you know, I, I love, uh, I, I probably love, Lester Young more than I, I hmm. love, uh, you know, uh, Lester Young is kind of my, my, you know, my, that's your pocket. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah. 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 I love that, that stuff kind of just, just pre-bop and then bebop, you hmm. know, and, uh, Gillespie and, you know, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I love, I love, uh, Louis Armstrong from when he was hmm. just a babe until his dying day. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great, that's a great, 
you know. Talk about a soul. Well, talk about, you know, yeah, Jeez, exactly. You know, and talk about, talk about a Dickensian thing. I mean, he just wound up in this orphanage and they mm. said, here, play this. Mm. Stuck a bugle in his mouth. Wow. And he said, oh man, what if it's about, I'll get you a cornet. All right. Mm. These people have just took care of him. The colored, wow. the colored, uh, the colored orphans home. Hmm. Now that doesn't happen. The world is different. Yeah. You know, yeah. On, all those, all those roads that actually got taken, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Pretty amazing. But I, you know, I, I also, that was my father's music. So, uh, so I rejected it for a long time because I was uh, an adolescent and loop it, I knew better, mm-hmm. you know, but I was like really into English rock and stuff, really loved the kinks and the who and stones mm. and Beatles, of course. And, you know, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker. Oh, man. <laughs> I heard him doing High Time We Went today on the radio. Wow. Man. Yeah. yeah. I got some, I got some vinyl in there of his. Yeah. yeah. That was my dad's collection back there that oh. when I was a kid, he would say, I'm collecting this for you, kiddo. And wow. he gave it to me about six years ago. So my friends come in here and drool. <laughs> my father had thousands because he was in the record, the record business. Oh, was he? And he had thousands of, of things, some wow. stuff that he didn't even listen to. Mm. Somewhere in Seacliff, Long Island, I have, uh, like, in their shrink wrap, mm. I have Glenn Gould, uh, wow. Goldberg variation, uh-huh. things like that. Uh-huh. But also jazz stuff, uh-huh. and blues stuff, and wow, and, yeah, cool things. Yeah, uh, it's you know the the jazz thing. I'm I'm looking forward to discovering it. Uh, on, on top of that, I have in my garage ten boxes full of my dad's jazz vinyl mm-hmm. collection, and I've you know I've kind of put my toe in a little bit here and there. Yeah. I was kind of. You know, I, well, some are more accessible than others. Yeah, and, and but but there's something. It's like I know as an as as like part of my adult journey. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to go into it and and discover it and and really, you know, figure out what that music. I mean, I, I know what it means to our culture, mm-hmm. and I understand the theory of it all and all of that. Yeah. But but I want to find a place inside of me. That it fits too. Yeah, you know? it has, but it has to speak to you. It or does. Else it's not going to be yeah. your music. And there is, there are some things that I, <laughs> that I'm always like, aren't, aren't there like six guys that are playing six different things at the same time? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. And yet there's a part of me because I'm like kind of a math kind of a person. Yeah. I love the, the dance of that, you yeah. know, but, um, but the, the part of me that loves the pop music <laughs> goes, Oh, I don't know if I like that or not. So yeah. it's, it, it kind of plays to, to different areas of me, but, but I, it's, it's 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 something I'm excited to discover and, mm-hmm. and kind of deepen into and um, well there's you know uh, there's no two ways about it uh, my girl by the temptations is hooks everybody yes it's the it's really accessible stuff brown yep. eyed girl yep there are certain songs that everybody yeah okay yep. until, until you've heard it too many times <laughs> right <laughs> but you know and some jazz is really kind of has to creep up on you and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I like this stuff in the late thirties and early forties hmm. because they were still, you know, they were experimenting leaving the melody. Yes. Uh, all together. Right. Um, you know, um, Coleman Hawkins hmm. has a solo on, on body and soul where he, I, he doesn't linger on the melody maybe ever, mm-hmm. but it's clear, you know, what the song is because, because of the setting of it. Right. It's, it's kind of a, you know, groundbreaking thing. And that's, I think, when things really started rolling. That's what I like, smaller combos and stuff. Yeah. Well, and there's something, I don't know, when you said leaving the melody, that, that really entices me in some ways. Yeah. I think that's really important that we learn to leave the melody yep. and go explore that unchartered yeah. territory, whatever it is, because 
you know, there's so many ruts. Yeah. <laughs> the culture hands you so many ruts. Yeah. And Some of them are useful, though. Of course. A rut that knocks you into a better rut, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eddie Izzard were, you know. Mm-hmm. Watch him get off the off the topic. Yeah, and you don't care if he never gets back. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah, this is I mean, very true. I- interesting people it, can do that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is true. Yeah, it, and and yeah, there's there there's that. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's you know I, I think about you know when we when when the scientists figured out that our brain has this thing called plasticity, plasticity mm-hmm. in it, which you know for forever and ever they thought you know you're you're born you 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 grow up a certain way and your brain is formed at age eighteen or nineteen and that's it. And there's no rewiring of your brain. And literally in the last 15 years, they've discovered that's just not true. It sounded like nonsense to begin with, didn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, you, what, you know, but it's just, it's so exciting to know that there is ways in which you really do get to expand your mind and that you can jump from one rut to another or create a whole new path yeah. inside of yourself. And, um, that just gives me hope all around for everything. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh I think as long as you can have a few laughs. Oh yeah. There's some reason that we have laughs. Mhm. There's something it's good for you obviously. Mhm. But it it's good for us. Well why why bother? Yeah. Why bother? What what, what does it do for right. us? Right. Well, how how does it help evolution go forward this laugh thing? It clearly does. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, it yeah. does. You know, I I I just I I think about that moment when it's spontaneous, it's um, involuntary, it's uh, makes something in your brain has to connect in a certain way that's a cross communication yeah. of something. Yeah, and there's logic involved in humor, and yet it's when you break the logic. Right. No, it's when you yes, when you throw the throw your sandal into the works. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I was thinking the other day, I was, because we were talking about language and stuff. And, uh, my wife has read all the, uh, read some of these, um, Clan of the Cave Bear books. She yes. read them long ago. Sure. She's, they're really fun. They're really interesting. And, and, and it's talking about language. This is one woman who really kind of works on the language thing. And it's very interesting. And it is interesting how we started to do that. Absolutely. But I wonder who was the first person to get a laugh specifically <laughs> with language, with a, with a line. Yes. Because, you know, you know, people were tickling each other right, and, and right. people were falling down, right, you know, right, yeah. stepping on the baby. I mean, things, some, certain things happened. <laughs> Slipping on the banana. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Mastodon came out of nowhere and ate Steve, you know, and that those things are funny. But the first time someone said something deliberately to mm. surprise someone else. Mm-hmm. That was a big day. Damn. Yeah. I'm loving that. Yeah. Now I'm going to. Well, you won't find out. I know. You can do all the research and you can Google this forever. <laughs> you can go over to Firefox. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Telling you. I'm thinking Mel Brooks would know. <laughs> <laughs> he only goes back 2,040 oh, years. Okay, you're right about yeah. that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I want to write something about that. That's great. I can just put that in my brain. You know, comedians really, what they, you know, you were talking before about, uh, you know, it wasn't so much that your father said uh, things that everyone was thinking. Mm-hmm. It was probably that 5% of the time. Right. Because it was the, it was the way he formulated yes. things that were brand new. Sure. That were, that kept him so surprising and wonderful. But the thing that comedians do, really effective comedians, obviously, um, what they do, it's not so much say what everyone's thinking, it's behave how you're not supposed to behave and go kind of where you're not supposed to go and get away with it. Yes. Because you can't really in real life 
do those things. Right. You can't, if anyone knows why this couple should not be wed in, in holy matrimony, you can't do a joke there. Right. You can't stand up and say something that would make ever because you're fucked if you do. Right. And you'll never be able to face any of those but people. But man, again. we want to. Sure. But in the, you know, in the world of a, of, of a guy at a microphone and, you know, a couple of bottles of Evian water and, you know, <laughs> 200 to 5,000 perfect strangers. Right. That's that's how it happens. It's you know it, it's um, yeah. yeah. That, it's being from another place. Yeah, yeah, and and getting to like you said something about getting getting to live that unlived life. Yeah, right. Yeah. So maybe when you're seeing a really good comic, that there's a little bit of envy in it, mm-hmm. along with the laughter. It's like because I remember Agreed. Yeah. when I was when I was 11 years old, my father took me to see my first Broadway show. Mm. It was Stanley Holloway, who is famous for uh, for playing Liza Doolittle's father in My Fair Lady, okay. the, the movie and the the Broadway uh-huh. show. Uh-huh. Old English music hall performer. Yes, um, did get me to the church on time. A little bit of luck, that guy. Mm. And he came was a big hit, and he came through town again with a one man show and a limited engagement. My father took me because I I. I had an album of his stuff, hmm. of his English music hall stuff, and I just adored these songs, these hmm. wonderful, clever, funny songs. So I went, and it was the greatest thing ever. He was amazing and brilliant, did all these monologues and all these songs that he did Sweeney Todd the Barber long hmm. before Stephen Sondheim ever heard. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it was just a great evening, but the main thing that it did for me is it, it showed me what an incredibly cool fucking job that is. <laughs> <laughs> to get on the stage and ha- do that stuff yeah. and get these laughs mm. and all these seats in this building point right at you. Yeah. And uh, it was huge. Yeah. It was huge. Wow. And it's still one reason to do it. You yeah. Know, it, it's like it's a really cool job. Olympia Dukakis told me, told me, told everybody in the class, and I'm sure she tells everybody, don't forget why you wanted to do this because mm-hmm. it looks like fun. Yeah. And if it ain't fun, yep. do something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, I was wrestling with that today. You were, you know, obviously hearing me talk about. My, I was, I was eavesdropping. You were, it's you true. were sitting three feet away from me yeah. eavesdropping, you bastard. <laughs> um, <laughs> about this memorization thing and, and all of the, uh, like the furrow in my brow about this and everything. And, and, um, and just wanting to get through the memorization part so that I can, Mm-hmm. Get to the freedom part of yeah, it, you know, yeah. where I am in the moment and I have those, you know, last night yeah. I had some moments where I'm really in it and I'm really dancing with the audience and playing and, oh, I know this part coming up with the story and they're going to fucking die and this mm-hmm. great lines coming up and all of that. And, and, um, it, it is, it's such a joy. And, and yet they're, they're, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't have a ton of stage time. I'm, I'm not right. a stand up. I don't do that. I haven't done a lot of acting, but. God damn it, I have this fucking urge to get up on this stage and do this. And a part of me does uh, question it, like, what the fuck am I thinking? You know, I, I'm backstage going, really? Yeah, this is what you're, you're going to, you've decided that your job in, on this planet is to go on a, on a flat surface with the lights pointing towards you mm-hmm. and lots of people sitting in seats yeah. staring at you. Yeah. And you are now going to be the only one in the whole place speaking. Well, here's the important thing. You kind of have to be the only person who's listening. Mm. You know, it's what happens to them is that's their problem. Right. They really are the rest of the world. Yeah. 
you're the only one who knows the truth of what you say before you say it. Mm-hmm. And how they deal with that is their problem. Yeah. So, you know, I remember t- the one time I met your father, uh, I did an interview, uh, on, I had a little interview show on Comedy Central mm-hmm. called Uncomfortably Close. <laughs> and I, you know, I, it was just people I really, really wanted to talk to, you know, some friends, some complete strangers. I'd never met your dad. Saw him in the, in the, uh, the, the big room at whatever, whatever Vegas hotel, hotel, Vegas it was. hotel. It was 2000. Um, one or two, was, 2001, I think. It was probably MGM. I think it was. <laughs> yep. And uh, then we did the interview the next day. And I was, you know, familiar with his his, his written stuff at that point. He had uh, at least one book out. Yes. And he had that brilliant thing in there of ailments. It was just a list of ailments. <laughs> and it just got funnier and funnier and funnier. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know, if I ever taught a class in acting – I would make people read this and see if they get through without laughing mm. because it's incredibly funny. Mm. And then I asked him if he'd ever memorized that mm. because I'd seen him the night before. I'd seen him do, yeah. you know, I, I mean, that's his stream yes. is a, it was, you know, it was a solid stream. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. man. It was like he wasn't, he wasn't reaching for anything. No. This guy, this guy had. Bam, no, bam, yeah. bam. And he said, no, that would be pretty tough. I said, but I've heard you do that advertising thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've heard you do things that were incredibly specific and had to go a certain way and were lengthy. Yep. You know, he said, but that one's just kind of all non sequiturs. Mm-hmm. So I think secretly the real problem was it would have broke them up. <laughs> <laughs> Laughed at his yeah. own material. And the other thing is that uh, this is about memorization mm. as long as we're talking about it. I just did uh, a, a big Shakespeare play for the first time in a long, long time. In New York. You were doing King Lear. Did King Lear. Uh, did uh, Gloucester and King Lear. Mm-hmm. And it's not the biggest part in the play, but it's big enough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of work. And a it, lot of... It's, and it's, it's language, man. That's some serious language. Well, it's also just in, in, emotionally, it's a very intense mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And the language is, you know, I, I, the way we did it was the right way. We found the real, the reality in the language. And, yes. then, and then it's just you play that because that's the reality anyway. This True. Is, just how you, how people talk in this play. That's all you can right. do. You know, that's all you're <laughs> right. going to do. Right. What are you going to do? Right. Um, but I had a lot of memorization to do. And uh, it, it put me in mind of my friend John Glover, who did uh, Waiting for Gatto, you know, mm. that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character is named Lucky. He has one line, but it's five pages long. <laughs> and it's all non sequitur. Oh, wow. <clears throat> So the the thing is, hey, you're lucky. How hey, you're playing lucky? Huh? Well, you got one line. That's a big deal. But it's it's a five page thing. Wow. And when they were doing, uh, there was a, a production of a play by Archibald McLish, which was uh, a version of The Devil and Daniel Webster called Scratch. And this was in sixty four, sixty five. And I heard about this later. When you auditioned for that play, no matter what part you were going up for, they had you memorize. Lucky speech from Waiting for God. Wow. Just to know, if you can't cut this. Right. <laughs> see ya. So apparently they got no one because the play didn't open, but <laughs> no, but imagine that. You yeah. Know, to, that, that means, yeah, I'm committed to this. I'm going to spend the next 10 days anyway, you know, yeah. doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But it can be done, amigo. I know. And yeah. it, you know, it is my life story. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, if you're doing Thornton Wilder's words, you can't just make something up. No, and or, and you know, and and but you know, the thing is, I'm like my father. I'm a writer first, right? 
And so the words are very specific. And yes, of course, I could go, okay, this paragraph is really just about this, mm-hmm. but I have the language in there and the way and the rhythm and all yeah. of that. And, uh, it's, I, I know, I, I just, yeah, I'm, t- I don't know what it's, what the big thing about. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that very sure. much. Sure. It can be done, amigo. I know it can. It will be done, okay. actually. It is being done. As we speak, some part of my as brain is, right now is memorizing as it is in heaven. <laughs> Uh, speaking of heaven, uh, are you a, a spiritual man, a religious man, an atheist, no, uh, an I, agnostic? I, I, uh, I don't – I'll put it this a way. A Rastafarian? I'll put it this way. <laughs> I think that all religions are equally accurate. Mm-hmm. It is the best thing and the worst thing you can say about religion mm-hmm. in the same utterance. Yeah. And – you know, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't impact. My father was an atheist. My mother was sort of a, well, maybe the kids are Lutherans and she'd send us off to, right. to Bible, I, Bible I suppose school. I have to do something to look yes. like a good citizen. No, she, she didn't give a shit about that. <laughs> she just really was kind of hedging the bet. Right. So I was, I was, I did go to Lutheran, uh, uh, Bible school one, one summer. Right. She just didn't know what to do with us right. in the summertime. Right. Uh, and I was a Unitarian one summer. Oh, we grew a plant. Unitarians are nice. We grew a little Lovely. plant and everything was yeah. nice. Yeah. We took care of a cactus. Fair very, um, uh, very Hands accepting on. people, the Unitarians. Right. Yes. And their churches look like kind of the, the most expensive, uh, crappy home on the block. <laughs> you notice that they all look like really designed like by some, you know, <laughs> kind of the Ikea, thing. the, the Ikea yeah, of exactly. r- r- churches, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But you know what? I, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't get into it anymore. Right. You know, there are people who are much better at, at it than I am. <laughs> And I love hearing them speak. You know, I love hear Daw- hearing Dawson speak. And, yeah. And those people. They just say it a lot more eloquently than I do. And Dawson is actually very nice. Yeah. Hitchens wasn't all that nice. Yeah. But, he, but sharp man. But still polite. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and kind of brilliant. Yeah. And, totally yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a practicing Buddhist, you know, uh-huh. so I don't really believe in a personal God or anything right. like that. But right. I, you know, I, I like the, the I like the practice. I like meditation. I I like the point of view, the yeah. the compassion for others, and and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I'm not putting. It Feels it. like wisdom. It does feel. Yeah. Like, it's that what they call perennial wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. So, um, one of the things I was noticing uh, when I was doing some research on you was your commitment and involvement in some global warming initiative stuff and and raising money for different. Um, I don't know. I was on some website and they yeah. were, I, I was just wondering know, if you like connected to that or well, what's your, and what are your thoughts about the, the whole global warming thing? Oh, well, I think we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, 2007, we did do the big Wembley, uh, uh, you did the Wembley stadium yeah. thing in, in London. So you're not yeah. one of the, you're not like a big activist out there. Um, uh, no, when I'm needed, Yeah. when I'm needed. Yeah. Right. I mean, Rob, uh, Rob Reiner is, is of course kind of really plugged in yeah. and, uh, you know, occasionally, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I have other, other things. I have, I'm a fundraiser for the International Myeloma Foundation, mm. which is, uh, mm. I had a good friend who, who, who died uh, of multiple myeloma. And it's this, you know, it's, uh, it's a kind of, it's, it's not your top 10 answers. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. But it's, it's up there. Yeah. And it's, uh, really insidious. So I, you know, I, I sometimes get involved with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I try to stay, Try to stay plugged in. Yeah, I was just curious because I was wondering if you were more of a, because you know, you said we're, we're all doomed. Are you more of a pessimist or optimist about where we are going here on this big blue ball spinning around the sun here? I don't know. It just maybe, maybe, or I just keep thinking that 
you're, we're going to find, as long as we live, mm-hmm. some of us are going to be able to find pocket, pockets of happiness. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, as far as the climate and all that goes, it's pretty terrifying. Yeah. It you is. know, I got kids. My youngest is, uh, is our youngest is 24. Mm-hmm. So 50 years from now, yeah. she'll be going, hmm. what the fuck? Yeah. She'll be saying something. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, I'm just, I'm just, I'm afraid that it's not a, not a preventable or re- seriously reversible thing. Yeah. Well, especially um, if governments won't even really talk about it. Oh, even so. Yeah. Even so, even if they, all of a sudden everyone sees the light. Yeah. You know, that's if, true. if it all of a sudden shows up, one more book in the Bible shows up and everybody's on board. <laughs> right. And it's God. It's a very short one. God is it. I'll make it this brief. You're <laughs> fucked if you don't do this. Even then. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. We yeah. can't steer this no. thing around. But, you know. Yeah. It, it just reminds me of the, the joke about the kid, uh, he's in, sitting in science class and, and he says, uh, teacher, did you, did you just say that the universe will probably end in 15 million years? And he said, no, no, 15 billion years. And the kid goes, oh, wow. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of like, really? It'll yeah. be around. We'll come limping to some kind something, of finish. Something, something will. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, every time there's a winter that's, we can't bear, there's one that we can't, that, you know, one down, down the road that's even worse. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you just live with it? You yeah, know? absolutely. We, yeah. we adapt. That's what we do. I'm just kind of worried about, uh, other shit going down, mm-hmm. you know, about, uh, you know, really running to the end of the, uh, the end of the energy train. All yeah. the way around. Yeah. Because we can't live without this shit we carry around in our pockets now. It's, I know. Yeah. It's official. Yeah. We need it. Yep. Or we think we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's one of my things is I, you know, my stranger nights, I think about that and like, okay, so what if it came to that? Like what really happens? Like suddenly all the lights go out, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, gee, there's, there's nothing coming up on this phone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> How do the hell do, what do I do now? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, uh, well, things change. They do. They do sometimes rapidly, sometimes not. We'll see. So my dog's barking back there. Well, we're going to wrap this up. It's Uh, dinner time, obviously. The dogs are barking. Obviously. Well, yeah. You know what it, no, you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. There's this new cat next door. Uh huh. His name is Pumpkin. Uh Not very bright. Or he's, maybe, a, he's asking for it. Maybe with the name. he is really. Well, I'm yeah. Sorry. Come on. Hi, I'm Pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. What are we not going to beat you up? <laughs> the new, the new fish in the prison. Hi, Pumpkin. Nice to meet you. Oh really? Yes. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Before we go, and I don't want to put you on the spot, which is kind of on the spot though, but I, I want to start asking this question to all my guests, especially my comedy guests. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite joke? Joke. <laughs> Uh, a favorite joke joke. I'll tell you the one of the jokes that made me laugh the hardest. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to butcher it. That's fine. But and it's I, I shouldn't really do it because it's a sketch. Really, it was a, it was a moment in the sketch on uh-huh. the Carol Burnett show, uh-huh. which was a very well written show, truly magnificent. And it was Tim Conway and and Harvey and Corman, Harvey Corman, of course, yes. <laughs> and they were doing some dumbass Jaws type sketch. It was a parody of Jaws, except the shark was in the toilet, I think, <laughs> or something like that. And Tim Conway does the, the kind of the parallel to Robert Shaw's story about the, the, the sinking of the uh, of the ship and the men. But he gets this real dramatic thing, and he tells this story. And of course, Corman is already gone. Right. By the time he he's, tears are coming, don't out. show me, don't show me. But every now and then they cut away to him, and he's he's dying. He's literally his heart is stopping. And Conway tells a story. Yes, 
me and me and Janice, we were we were pinned and we were going steady and it was the summer, the summer right after the senior year in high school and and we were out there swimming, uh, swimming out to the raft there in the bay. And uh, so we'd kind of race each other out to the raft and I got to the raft first and I got up on the raft and I looked back and, and there was this gray fin heading right towards Janice. And I said, Janice, Janice, for God's sake, swim, swim with all you've got. But she never made it. She never made it to the float. I think she would have made it if she hadn't been wearing her lucky ham. I thought that's one of the most beautifully constructed. And like I say, I put my foot through it. <laughs> they took about one eighth of the time to do that. Right. If you can find that on, on, online, it's, it's what's <laughs> That joke just destroys me. So perfect. Her lucky ham. Her lucky ham. <laughs> James Thurber, you know what James Thurber's favorite joke was? What? It was a Fred Allen joke. Fred Allen was talking about his, there was somebody on the show talking about his, his father, who was a wonderful farmer. He was a terrific farmer. Why, he once put up a scarecrow that was so frightening. Crows were bringing back corn they had stolen two years earlier. <laughs> Is that a great joke? That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I like jokes that, that kind of hang together uh, nicely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know a lot of, a lot of jokes. I know. I don't know a lot of joke jokes either, but I'm just, I'm kind of fascinated by this. This, yeah. little, this, this came into my mind a couple of days ago. So it's my, <laughs> it's my new question I'm asking. <laughs> Instead of, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Yeah. That's already been done. Well, thank you, sir, for coming by. Thank you, Callie. I so appreciate it. And, uh, everyone, uh, next week I have Erica Heller. On my show. She's Joseph Heller's daughter. And uh, she's written a book. I'm reading her book right now. It's an autobiography called Yosarian Slept Here. When Joseph was dad, the Apthorpe was home and life was a catch-22. And it's still amazing stories about her family and this building called the Apthorpe in New York that uh, just amazing characters and famous people lived in Zero Mostel and all this kind of stuff. Where was that? It's like 73rd and I want to say like Broadway, like right around there. It's this big, big building. It's one of the first like big apartment buildings. With yes. An arch. I know and that. There's building. a big courtyard in the yep. middle. That was like the It's whole... on Broadway actually. I, I think it Entrances is Entrances on, on 73rd and 74th. Yeah. Or uh No, that's the Ansonia. Uh Apthorpe is up t- is a little further uptown. I know exactly the building. Yeah, I'm yeah. And it's about. just it's Fabulous. This, it's this great book and and she's and it, it's you know it, it's 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 an interesting take. So that'll be fun. They'll cool. be you know having Erica here. And uh I just want to thank everyone for their support of the show. I I want to thank um uh, two supporters this week who donated some money. Uh, Roger Caps, I want to thank you. And Mr. Rick Overton, I want to thank you for your Rickola. generous. Yes, he's a good friend of mine. He's a dear man. He's a dear man. He's like a brother. He's, he's my, like, He is my brother. He's like a cousin to he, me. Yeah, well, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Though. Yeah. Since I don't have any brothers, I get to have lots of brothers. <laughs> and, uh, of course, if you want to subscribe and hear uh, this show every week and have it magically appear in your iPod, please subscribe at iTunes. And I've heard that you can also subscribe at Stitcher. I don't know much about the Stitcher, but this is what I've heard. And, um, of course, if you want to, uh, support the show in any way, go to my website, kellycarlin.com slash waking, and you'll see a little donate PayPal kind of a button. You can push on that and just send your paychecks. It's fine. <laughs> just whatever you want. Uh, pennies, nickels, paychecks. I don't care. Uh, it'll help to, uh, pay for Logan's gas. Uh, Feed my dogs a little bit of kibble and uh, keep this thing cranking on the big airwaves out there in the internets. 
Uh, and if you have any music, royalty-free music that you want to send my way, I've actually got uh, a new song I'm playing today, which I'm very excited. Uh, you can find me at wfadradio at gmail.com. Send me an email. Send me an MP3. Let me know about your music. Would love to, love to, love to, love to hear it. Um, and uh, what else? What else? Of course, you can find me on the Twitter. Um, I'm Kelly underscore Carlin. You can find Michael on the Twitter. He's M-J-M-C-K-E-A-N. That's right. Uh, you can find Logan on the Twitter. He's at Logan Heftel, H-E-F-T-E-L. Um, and you can find all sorts of fantastic people. I'm going to go to his site. They didn't let me talk again today. <laughs> Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, one day Logan will be running the show and I will. Logan's run. Logan's run. Hey, nice. Logan's show run. Nice. And oh, I guess we had some, I guess we had some stream trouble today. Oh, well, well, you know what? They'll play it again and it's, it's recorded and we're good, but that stream wasn't, I'm guessing it's okay. Um, and, uh, you same can, thing happened to me on the Kevin Pollock show. Had stream problems. You know, it started, maybe it's me. Maybe. Maybe I need to see my urologist. Maybe. Yeah. I don't really want to know about that. Okay. That's kind of creepy now. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can find, uh, the show on Facebook at A Waking American Dream. You can find me on Facebook. Um, there's all sorts of social media. And as you know, I haven't been spending much time there lately and I do apologize. Uh, we need to start a new hashtag game this year. Have not played a hashtag game yet this year. I'll think of, um, uh, some, one of my favorite ones that I did was uh, 16th century sitcoms and I thought it was going to be really impossible. It was really fabulous actually. Hmm. Um, I have to get you roped in, Michael, one night to play mm. uh, hashtag games. And uh, what else? What else? I think that's it. Uh, we'll just uh, roll out here just a few minutes early. I've got a new song I'm going to play. This is by Andy Starr. Uh, the name of the album. Hold on. I'm going to turn around and look at it. Uh, the name of the album is, oh, that's the name of the song I'm playing too. It's called The World Will Follow. And Andy found me uh, th- through this, the show here and she sent me her album. And uh, the song is called The World Will Follow. Uh, this is all to you for all you independent artists, starving artists, unstarving, whatever the hell kind of artists you are out there. We're all in this boat together. Enjoy. Thanks for being here. <laughs> 